Thank you again to our musicians. You know, you can worship the Lord anywhere, anytime. You can worship Him even off-key. But how wonderful when you worship Him in on-key uh, with such beautiful accompaniment and voices and just encouraging us to lift up our crummy little voices and join them. Uh, you notice they didn't put your voice on the PA system. They put their voice on the PA system. Uh, and that's the way it should be. We're so grateful. Thank you, too. Uh, Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. It's been such a joy to be with you. It's, it really is always an encouragement for your guests to be here and just sense that you folks love each other and you love the Lord and that he's doing wonderful things here. It really has encouraged my soul. I'm going back with many lessons that I've learned and, and some new friends. And I'm really, really grateful. Thank you for the warmth of your hospitality. For those of you who planned and have organized this conference with all the seminars that we have today uh, and thank you for participating in it and giving yourself to the, these moments when we are looking at these topics that are so important not only for you and your family not only for this church but for this entire community the way you live your life as singles and marrieds and parents is so vital well we talk about a very important topic this morning uh, the topic of Christian parenting, and I'm calling it purposeful parenting. We should be parenting with a purpose. But I have to say, as a parent of some years, that purposeful parenting is fun. <laughs> I saw a cartoon not too long ago that reminded me of my children. It was a kid who had a report card. He handed it to his dad, and his dad was looking at it, and they looked at his son and he said, five Fs? And in the next block of cartoon, the son looked at his dad and said, yeah, dad, what do you think it is, heredity or environment? Uh, that reminds me of my kids. And looking at these videos, uh, it just reminds me of how much fun family life is. And whether you're a parent or an aunt and uncle or a spiritual brother or sister who gets to help with the rearing of these kids in this church, they are so much fun. Now, I noticed from the videos that to give us these cute vignettes, these were all young children. I didn't see any cute teenagers on the video, and I'm wondering why that is. And I think sometimes uh, when you all who are teenagers, uh, your parents get to this stage, they're thinking, gosh, you, you know, you all are a challenge. You, know, you got you challenge authority, you ask tough questions, you don't always do exactly what we say, and you're bigger than we are and stronger than we are and sometimes smarter than we are, and it's a challenge. I want to say to you, I love the teenage stage. They're nuts. <laughs> uh, and if your kids aren't nuts, their friends are nuts. And you just, you bring them in and you're just sitting there holding your side half the time. It's just absolutely wonderful. And you know what? When your kids, when they're teenagers, some of you teenagers, you get to the point you think, I really don't want to talk to my parents anymore. They're boring. I don't want anything to do with them. And your parents don't know what to do. You know, they feel left out and all that. Forget your kids. Talk to their friends. They're lots of fun. And uh, just, <laughs> just go around your kids. Just forget them. And just make friends with their friends. And that's exactly what Allison and I did. And I've done all their weddings and baptisms. And they're, they're some of my best friends. Hang it with you kids. I'm, I'm going to make friends with your friends. And uh, so it, it really is fun. And then I can say that I was surprised 
at how much fun it is to have adult children. Uh, man, what a privilege. You know, to have people ask me to pray on occasion to ask for my input on something, to let us babysit the children and hand them back. And, you know, I, I never knew. It's not just being a grandparent. It's, it's being the parent of adult children. That, that, to me, is the essence of it. And you're participating in their lives together. It is a great joy. So for those of you who are young parents, I just want to say it gets better and more fun all the time. You have a lot to look forward to. You do have to sow the seeds in early life. And it is sometimes difficult. And I look at some of you mothers in particular. I have no idea how you do this. I mean, as a granddaddy trying to help out everyone, it wears me out. I don't know how you do this day after day. I'm amazed at what you do, but it is so important, mothers and fathers. The younger the children are, the more important it is. It's true in the church. Your most important Sunday school is in the nursery. It really is. And they're not learning cognitively. They learn symbolically at young ages. And the symbol they learn from is the way you hold them, the smile you give them, the love you communicate to them. They learn. They're, they're putting this all together, sometimes without words. But the lessons you teach at the very young age, those are the most important lessons that you teach. When I came to Second Presbyterian 23 years ago, I had my first Sunday, I had different groups stand up. The elders, I'm going to talk to you for a minute, stand up. Deacons, you stand up, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Uh, those of you who teach Sunday school, please stand up, I want to talk to you. Young parents, you stand up, I want to talk to you. Well, finally, I got down to those who are under eight years old. I said, all of y'all stand up. They can understand what I'm saying. And I told them, you're the most important people in this church, without question. You have the longest to live. You're the most flexible. You can learn the most. And we're the most responsible for you. We love you and adore you. We're going to do every, we'll lay down our lives for you. And I've watched those kids grow up and now married some of them. And what a joy. It's true. They're the most important people. The ones at your feet are the ones that sometimes you neglect. Jesus said, do not forbid those children from coming to me. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he had to teach his own apostles the importance of children. It doesn't matter that you're a parent or not a parent. This was not the disciples' children he was talking about. It was the disciples, little disciples. And so we're all parenting, if you will. If you think that you're not being a parent or relieved of the duties in this church or of any church you go to from rearing the children, you've missed it. Jesus said, do not forbid but bring them to me. We're all engaged in this ministry together. The ones who are the parents are the chief influencers, and we all know this, and so we're holding them accountable. We're all watching them. We're helping them. We're assisting them. And every time you have a baptism, you promise to assist them. It's not just because these poor parents are all bedrazzled and look like they need some help. It's because these kids are the most important people in the church. So you've got to help them. So we're all parenting, if you will. So whatever we talk about, it's useful for parents and grandparents, but it's useful for all the singles. It's useful for teenagers who will help in the nursery or help with, with uh, middle school ministry, whatever it is. It's the same sort of principle. Well, turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. Some years ago, our session came under deep conviction that we as elders... We're not being the parents that we should be. I'm telling you, there were, it was a Saturday morning, all morning long conference with our elders. There were tears almost at every table as many of us arose to confess our sins as parents. 
that we had other ambitions for our children than to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We wanted them to get the right education, marry the right person, make the right amount of money, get the right job. And we just allowed the Lord to strip us naked and just say, we're not really doing the job here. And we realized that probably after we had confessed our sins, we realized, you know what, we're not leading the church to do the job either. And we started a major ministry. This is some 10 years ago. We called it D6, Deuteronomy 6. Let's look at the text. We'll read the first three verses to begin with. Remember the context in Deuteronomy. Moses is at Mount Nebo. He knows he's not going into the promised land, but he knows that you are. And the old man has some things to say to you. They're his last words. He wants to be sure you get it right, that you know the challenges ahead of you when you go into a pluralistic society as God's people. You're going into Canaan. There are going to be a lot of pagans in there. And these are the things you've got to hold dear to your heart. You've got to remain true to Yahweh. You've got to be the people of God in the midst of a pluralistic world. These are the kinds of things he's telling them. And this is one of the most important texts, as we all know. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time together. Help us to study your word with devotion and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1, hear the word of God. Now this is the commandment, the statute, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." The first thing we want to consider is Christian parents must think family. Why? Because Moses told you to. You're here in America. It's a pluralistic democracy. There are all kinds of religions that are welcomed here. We consciously build community with people of different religions. We die for that idea. Many of our fathers and mothers have died for that idea. And we'll defend it. We believe we should protect the rights of other people. But we're different. We're peculiar. We're Christians. And we have to listen carefully to what it is we're to do in this land, peculiarly because we're disciples. And here you have it. He says, you've got to think like family. He said, I'm going to give you commands that are for you and for the next generation and for the next generation. And I want you to understand that you are aware of yourself. You're aware of the next generation coming along. You're to mentor them. And you're even to mentor the one after them. That's your duty as a Christian going into this society. You've got to think family, family of the church, and nuclear families and the way people are discipled into Christ in this world. That's what he's saying. And I want to mention four things that I think come out of this idea of thinking family. First of all, you got to respect the next generations. Respect your children. Respect them. They're not your possession. They're his. They don't belong to you. You were born before them but you don't own them. God owns them. They're his property. You have the privilege of rearing them if you're a parent. But you do not have the privilege of owning them. This is very, very important. You're to respect them as made in the image of God. Someone who is so beloved that he saw to it that they were brought into a covenant family. 
think about what he must think of them to give them that privilege. These are his. Jesus said, these are mine. These belong to my kingdom. I'm the king, you're not. You're my servant. And so therefore, you're you're my, my little one's servant. When you've been made a parent, you've been made a servant. This is vital to respect your children. So for example, in spiritual things, you don't just go barging in and tell them what they must do or must believe when you're dealing with the things of the soul. You ask your way in. You pastorally enter into the life of another. You knock on the door of their heart. You gently come in if they allow you. If they'd rather be reticent, you let your reticent children be more reticent. You let your louder children be louder. Some of your children share the secrets of their heart with you. They tell you everything that's even embarrassing stuff. You're, you're, you're glad that they share that with you. Some of your other kids are very reticent to share the things of their heart. They, they Hopefully you're sharing them with God, but not so much with you. And you respect your children. God makes them differently. You're getting to know them. And you can't just make them into what you want them to be. They're, they're gods. You're going to influence them, of course. But they, they belong to him. So we respect our children. And when you do, you'll find that you learn tremendously from them. So when you correct them, you do not remove your respect. As a matter of fact, they should understand that you're correcting them because you hold them in such high esteem. That you're correcting them because they are such a valuable person made in the image of God brought into his covenant family and you know this is where the pathway of life and peace lies for them and that God has given you a particular assignment and you're a man and a woman under orders you're not the king of your house Jesus Christ is the king of your house and you're his servants you're doing his bidding and your children should know that you're a man a woman under orders and you humbly accept your challenge and your responsibility And sometimes you may even tell your children, I'm sorry that we need to do this, that, and the other because you need correction. But it's because you're such a valuable person. Is the sound okay? Okay, fine. So that's the first thing is to respect your children. You will learn from them. I recall a situation when my children were older. My son was playing college basketball and we wanted to go see an important game so we traveled a long way from Memphis to Virginia to see him play basketball in college. And on the way, it was too far to go all in one day because we had to go after school. And so we left, you know, mid-afternoon, and it's a long trip. So I made a confirmed reservation for late arrival in a motel in a small town in Upper East Tennessee that would be more than halfway on our way. And we'd get there around midnight, So I say it was a confirmed reservation for late arrival. So I'm traveling with my wife and my two daughters who were, you know, young adult age or maybe college age. No, they wouldn't have been. One was high school age, one was college. They were traveling with us. I get to the, and we all come in the motel lobby and they sit down with the bags and I go to the desk and I say, my name is Sandy Wilson. I have a confirmed reservation for later arrival. She looks and says, I'm sorry, sir. We don't have a room. I say, yeah, you do. I have a confirmed reservation for late arrival. She says, well, sir, I'm, I'm really sorry. We just, we don't have any rooms. I said, well, yes, uh, 
yes, you will have a room for me because I have a confirmed reservation for a late arrival. I'm sitting here, this is midnight in the middle of nowhere. I have three women I'm trying to take care of. This is all my mind. And we're going to get ourselves a room. So I said to her, who's the boss here? And then she started to cry. And I realized at that moment, I have three women behind me whose eyes are staring laser beams right through the back of my head. And I realize I am now in a mess. I've just made a woman cry. And this is not going to be pretty. So eventually, actually, she finds a room. It's a little bit under construction, but it has two beds and a toilet works, and so we'll take it. So we get to the room, and we put our bags down, and my older daughter, whom some of you know, she sat in the bed and she said, good job, Reverend Ass. You better respect your children because they grow up. <laughs> Secondly, encourage your children. This is just general health, healthy family. You can have pagan families that are generally psychologically healthy because there's a lot of encouragement going on. Sometimes evangelical parents who are so aware of our ethical code, they want to be sure that every kid gets it, you know, you, you don't do this and you don't do that. You never tell a lie. You know, and it's, it, we're just correcting all the time. Psychologists tell us that a healthy ratio is seven words of encouragement for every word of correction. How you doing? Most of us not so well. Encouragement is a form of discipline, a very important form of discipline. Your kids need to hear it from you all the time. They need to know that you respect them. And when you respect them, you will find the areas in which you are continually encouraging them. I know a man who's a good friend of mine. He was an elder in the first church I served. He was a regional director for Mission Aviation Fellowship, a wonderful missionary leader. And he told me when he was a kid, he grew up in a reformed church in the upper Midwest, and he went back to that church as an adult. And one of the old, old elders came up to him, put his hand on him and said, Ken, I always knew you'd be a missionary. And here's what Ken told me years later. He said, for heaven's sakes, I wish he had told me that when I was a teenager. He could have saved me about 20 years of wandering around trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. <laughs> so often you see things in a kid. You, you think, you know, you've got a good mind. You're a good communicator. You're going to make a good Bible teacher. You need to tell an eight-year-old that. You need to call out these things that you're seeing in these kids and encourage them. That builds them up. That helps them. They don't have the experience to see how they fit into the larger economy of humanity. And you can say to them, I see this in you. It's really quite remarkable. And you're able to do this and that and the other. They need these words of encouragement continually. That's a healthy family. That's respecting your kids. That's encouraging them. That's thinking family. Thirdly, Love your spouse. Probably the most important thing you can do for your kids is to listen carefully to what we said on Thursday night and do it. The relationship between husband and wife is the dominant temperature setting thermostat in the family. Kids are very frustrated, even if they don't say it, they're very frustrated when you all don't get along. It's very unsettling. Psychologists tell us the number one fear that a 15-year-old has, even in a healthy family, is that he's going to lose one of his parents. 
Now, look, if you've got good parents that are putting food on the table and paying for your education, yeah, I'd fear losing them too. I always tell kids, don't let those people get away. Uh, <laughs> but a 15-year-old, a 15-year-old really worries about that. He could lose a parent by death or divorce. He, he can imagine all kinds of things. He needs to see continually that you all are committed to each other, that you're committed to him. And every once in a while, you even need to say it at the dinner table. Hey, I have an announcement to make. Everybody, shh, I have an announcement to make. Kids, be quiet. Just a minute, just a minute. Have I told you all lately how much I love the woman on the other side of this table? Mary, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about my wife. I love her. And you know, you all have heard us squabble sometimes. We have these little fights and we're embarrassed about that. We wish it didn't happen. But what I want you to know is it doesn't matter about any of that. I will never leave that woman nor forsake her. And I want you to know I'm completely committed to her and to you, and I'm so happy to be her husband and to be your dad. Uh, now y'all can eat your food. Just every once in a while, just make an announcement. Let's get it clear. You love your spouse. That establishes a temperature in the home. Fourthly, this is so important for evangelicals. Please trust God with your children instead of worrying about everything. Evangelicals worry so much. We worry about everything. And it's just overwhelming. But what you don't know is overwhelming. This is where evangelical parents make their biggest mistakes. You fail to realize the overwhelming influence that you have upon your children. You're worried about what the coach is going to say at football practice. You're worried about what the history teacher is going to say in high school. You're worried about the university that they're going to. Ladies and gentlemen, in a healthy Christian family, you have planted seeds that are always going to be there. And without a question, the number one influencers in your kids' lives are you. Sometimes we're not real happy about that, but it's true. You're the number one influencer in their lives. And when you clutch at things and act like you're afraid of what's on the outside, you're denying the power of God working through the covenant family. You know, Daniel did quite well, trained in the ways of Babylon, because it's obvious he'd been trained at home. It does not take many years. My grandfather was, my, I've told you my dad was an alcoholic. We were church people, but there were problems in our home. My grandfather was chairman of the deacons, Baptist church. He was singing the choir. He was a spiritual leader. His mama died when he was six years old. And his dad was not a Christian. I cannot wait to meet my great-great-grandmother. She taught that boy by the time he was six. Six years old. And then he had no Christian influence in his family. She taught him. And by six years old, he had it. And led our whole family. And I'm grateful for it. My grandfather. I'm grateful for my great-grandmother. So you have enormous influence. And I say, would you please just relax a little bit? When you start trusting God to work through you, you're also able to trust your child a little bit more, and that needs to happen in most evangelical families. I've told some of you that when my number five child, and it was my number five, you know, we do learn as we go down the way. Uh, poor first children, oh my. How many of you are firstborns? I'm so sorry. You know, I, I tell everybody, you deserve the double portion of the inheritance in the Old Testament. I mean... <laughs> Good grief. You think about all the sins we committed against firstborns. <laughs> You're whacked out. We all know it. You got an excuse. You know. 
So number five child, I finally get it. And so this is Lizzie. She's in the seventh grade. She's in a private school. It's not a Christian school. And there are all kinds of social climbing going on and drugs and alcohol and sex just everywhere. She's in the seventh grade. So what are you going to do? Here's what I did. I said, Lizzie, you're getting ready to get into a very interesting stage of life. First of all, you're a junior high, so we're going to be very close friends because I have junior high humor. We're going to understand each other perfectly. <laughs> now, when you, get, when you get in the ninth grade, there'll be some distance between us because you'll mature and I'm still back there in junior high, but that's fine. <laughs> but I said, here's, here's the deal. I said, there's all kinds of stuff going on in Hutchinson. You know all about it. Look, I trust you to make good decisions. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Would you please decide what parties you think you should go to? And if you made a bad decision, would you please decide when you need to leave a party? And I'd like to leave all that with you, but here's just one condition. Uh, would you be sure that I never hear anything from another parent about a party that I didn't hear from you first about? So you've got to communicate with me about everything that's going on. And then I'd love for you to make all those judgments. She said, well, Dad, there's a problem there. I said, I know. She said, the problem is you might tell the other parents what went on at that party. I said, that's right. You've got to leave that with me. That's going to have to be my judgment. Your judgment is to come clean with me and tell me what's going on. And then I can just ask you about how you made the decision and so on. I said, that's the way I'd like to operate because in six years, we're getting you ready for college when you're going to be self-directed. You're going to be on your own, making your own judgments. So we got to train you in six years. We, got, we only got six years to do this. So let's start off and give you freedom. Now I said, look, if you mess up, well, I mean, we don't mind having to treat you like a fifth grader. If you'd like, rather be a fifth grader, that's fine. But if you'd like to be treated like a ninth grader while you're in the seventh grade, we, we'd like to give you that freedom, but you got to communicate. Great deal. Worked all the way through. And she went to college, was self-directed, made great decisions. Sometimes we don't trust our kids. Do you respect them or not? My kids are much further advanced in spiritual things at their ages than I was at their ages. I respect them. And furthermore, don't give them too much credit. That's what's supposed to happen in a Christian family, for heaven's sakes. You should, of course, advance beyond your parents. So don't, tell, don't get the fathead uh, because you're more spiritually mature than I was. Now, secondly, look at verses four through six. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All right? So here's the second point. Christian parents must be what they want their children to become. This is vital. So many Christian parents are trying to do it by paint by the numbers. I read this book, tells me to do these things. I'm going to bring those things over here there in my family and do those things. Surely this will work. It's a formulaic way of discipleship. It never works with anybody, especially children. By the time they're three, they know what you really believe. They know whether you really enjoy church or not. They know whether you respect authority. They know whether you think good thoughts about your friends. Oh, thank you so much for calling. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Boy, she's a witch, I tell you what. <laughs> your kids see all that. They see through it. You can't fake this. The number one thing your kids need is for you to be a real Christian. And when you are, you develop parental intuitions. You're helped by books. James Dobson can help you do a lot of things. But actually, you'd be fine without him because you're following Christ and you're simply saying to your disciples, 
Follow me, as Paul says, as I follow him. And if you follow me, you're going to run into him because I follow him. Paul says seven times, imitate me. That's the way you parent, imitate me. So if you believe your kids shouldn't be drinking alcohol, how come your refrigerator is loaded up with it? Why don't you make your, your refrigerator a family refrigerator? Anybody there can have anything in their refrigerator. I just find parents who are trying to live two lives. They want one thing for their kids, but they don't really want to live a kid life. Why not? I'm discipling these people. I'm going to enter into their lives. So I just want to walk with the Lord, reverence Him, love Him. And when you do that, you will avoid one of the great pitfalls of parenting, and that is needing your children's affirmation. I see parents do this all the time. They are cowards in making some tough decisions because they are terrified that their kids won't like them. Do you want a pastor like that who's preaching to you and then looking to see if, if you're okay with him? Are you okay? Did that hurt your feelings? You say, please give us another preacher. Yeah, he's way too dependent upon what we think of him. How can he ever bring the word of God? How can you ever parent? If you're always checking to see if your kids like you, of course your kids don't like you sometimes. They love you, they like you overall, but you really tick them off. Not only when you're misbehaving, but when you're at your best, you tick them off sometimes. Of course you do. And out of love, you're willing to suffer that because you love the friend more than you love the friendship. You love the child more than you love the relationship. And if you can't do that, I don't think you can parent. And it comes from fearing the Lord and walking with Him. I have a friend, June Gelo. She's now deceased. She had a son. His name was John, and he, he wandered off the ranch. And she was at a point of extremity physically, and we all thought she was going to die. She was in Mass General Hospital, and her son, John, finally came to see her. He was a 30-year-old. He comes to see his mom. He's a non-Christian, living, you know, wildly. And June is a dear, precious, godly woman who prays faithfully for her son. So John comes to her bed. June told me she said this, and I could hardly believe it. She's so sweet, I couldn't believe she actually said this. But John came to her bed, and she took his hand. She said, John... You know, I weep for you just about every day. I pray for you. John, I love you. But John, it looks like I'm going home. And I want you to know, I will weep no more. I said, June, you said that? She said, yes, I said that. She said, I have an assignment to be a parent, a mother who loves my children. And that assignment is over. When I head home, and now everyone's my brother and sister, and I've got a new family. I said, June, that's wild. She said, that's biblical. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so you have an assignment, and it's temporary, and you don't get all wrapped up in it. This is not eternity. There are other things that are eternity. Then secondly, study and practice his word. He says, I want you to know the word. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You get them in your heart. Study the word. Develop an ambition for your child that's really biblical. Develop Christian intu intuitions. 
become a wise person by studying his word. That's what Moses is saying. You older adults, you've got to study the Bible. Your kids need to benefit from having a parent who's immersed in the scriptures. And then you'll develop these things. Lastly, verses seven through nine. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and there shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you'll put it on your refrigerator door and you shall write, I just added that in, I'm sorry. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Christian parents must personally disciple their children. This is the reason that elders are to be disciplers in the home before they become elders. If they can't disciple their own family that you don't ask them to disciple you. So Christian parents must personally disciple their children. Of course, school teachers are very helpful. Youth leaders are extremely helpful, but you're the major discipler for good or ill. So number one, establish family worship. In the Wilson household, when my kids were younger, we shot for five nights a week. We gave up on Sunday night and Wednesday night because they were church nights. We were exhausted, put the kids to bed. But five nights a week, we tried to have family worship. Read just one paragraph of the text, ask all the kids what they thought it meant, pass out the missionary cards or the Christmas cards, praying for a family or a missionary, and it takes 12 minutes with seven people. 12 minutes. Out of five nights, we usually hit three, and we were grateful for that. So just do what you can. Set a target, go after it. Thank God for whatever you get. And after family worship, Alice and I would take the stairs up to our bedroom and I would say to her, that was the only sane 12 minutes in this family's day. <laughs> because instead of hitting each other, they were praying for each other. Instead of vaunting themselves as the center of the universe, they were praising God. Instead of worrying about their little game tomorrow, they were praying for the missionaries on the field. It's the only moment of sanity in the Wilson household. God visits you in those moments. My kid Lizzie, once again, when she was in the sixth, I mean, I'm sorry, when she was a first grader, uh, her Sunday school teacher said, came up to me and said, how come Lizzie knows so much about the Bible? I mean, every question I asked, she's always got the answer. I thought, actually, we haven't sent her to Bible school or anything. And then I realized, you know, Three times a week times 50 is 150 Bible lessons times six years. That's about 1,000 Bible lessons. That kid knows the Bible at six years of age. And then I understood my grandfather. So it's amazing. Those ages, that stuff sticks. So establish family worship. Secondly, talk about him along the way. Ask questions more than you make statements. Aim for the heart. So... Mary, I understand that so-and-so got kicked out of school because she cheated on an exam. What, I mean, how does that affect you? That makes me really sad. Well, what do you think of it? Well, I think she was wrong, and I think the honor council did the right thing. And, but I just, it just makes me sad. So what do you do about it? Well, you know, I really hadn't thought about it. Well, what do you think you could do? Well, I certainly need to pray for her. I probably ought to write her a note. That's, that'd be a great thing to do. That's the way you talk with your kids. They're, they're, these, they're more mature than you were at that age, and so you're learning from them. I mean, I've learned a ton from my kids. Ask them questions. That's what pastors do. They, they ask good questions. If you go for counseling, they ask you good questions. Why don't you ask your kids good questions? Talk with them. 
And that's where you really work in the lessons of family worship, actually get worked into life when you're in the car on the way to school. Or if you have a Lizzie who's very quiet, you may have to take a three-hour trip to get a conversation out of her, but I suggest you make the three-hour trip. Thirdly, set minimum spiritual boundaries. So you don't regulate everything in a child's life. You do regulate some things. For example, we're going to be in church. When the elders call a worship service, if we have two worship services, morning and evening, we're going to those. If the elders call for one only, we're going to that one. If we have a Sunday school, you're going. If we have a youth group, you're going. You don't have to go to the retreats. You don't have to go on mission trips. So you pick some things that are optional. You allow them to express their own passion in some ways, but there are some things that are hardcore. Now, I have five kids, so I have how many years of teenagehood? That would be seven times five, 35 years. In those 35 years, I had two challenges to go into youth group. Let me tell you how I handle it. (laughs) You think I'm an idiot. We've got adults over there that want to help you be a better Christian. And you think (laughs) that I would let you stay home. (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh, dad, stop it. That was the end of the conversation. (laughs) So just pick what you think the bare minimum is. Don't let it get to you. It's hilarious that the kids would think that you would think otherwise. It's really funny. Let yourself be humored by these things. And don't move an inch. On the bare minimums, believe ways of motivation for them to express their spiritual life beyond what you ever suggest. I do think you need to be very careful about trying to regulate their own personal devotions when they get to be 10 or 12 years old. You can ask, but you watch out for piling guilt, manipulative arguments onto them about their daily devotions. Let the youth leader hammer them. Let the small group uh, young adult working with them talk with them about that. Let other people help you. The parent needs to be sure that they know that yes, you have ambitions for them, but you're letting them grow and develop uh, in some ways at their own rate. Then lastly, get help, folks. Get help. Uh, You need it. And I think you need help from teachers, from youth group leaders, from pastors, from professional counselors. And sometimes we're so proud as parents, we don't want to admit that we need help, and we do our children no service when we clam up and don't let a confidential advisor come in and help us with the situation. And youth workers, when you see family systems, which you always see, we know that as soon as you see our kids, you know about our home. I mean, it's, it's, listen, parents, you can't send your kid to a youth group where an experienced youth worker doesn't know, generally, the health of your home. It's very obvious. And you're silly if you don't let the youth worker talk with you about your parenting. Now, they may not be experienced parents themselves, but they can see what's going on with your child in ways that you may not even notice. You're, 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 being, you're, you're cutting off some important information and important help if you don't bring that youth worker into your life and let him know that you're open to hearing what he says. Maybe he or she is not mature enough to tell you exactly what to do, but they can give you intelligence about what's going on in the life of your child that you may not even be aware of. So you're silly when you get defensive and you're hurting your child when you're defensive. So let's open our lives, realize we do need the church, 
Uh, I mean, it'd be a wild proposition to try to rear children without the church. I don't know how people do that. Uh, we need each other in community. It does take a village. The nuclear family is the most influential, but it takes a village of covenant family to rear children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that's the reason we promised the baptism to do so. Thank you all so much for this week together with you. May the Lord continue to bless Tate's Creek and all those associated with you for years to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and for the privilege of hearing it and seeking to put it into practice. And we know we cannot even take the first step without the power of your Holy Spirit working in and through us. And so we would devote ourselves again to you today as the custodians of ministry to young people. And for those of us who are teenagers, we pray that you'll give us a special heart for elementary age kids. For those of us who are 10 years old, we pray that you'll give us a special heart for those preschool kids. For those of us who are 80, give us a special heart for multiple generations that we continue to serve because you, Lord Jesus, have served us. And we make our prayer gladly and thankfully in your precious name. Amen.